And I believe to be a good player over a long season, like we play, so I'm about to play 140 games. I've never done it before. It's my first time. But everyone keeps telling me you got to have a, you got to have a routine. You got to have a routine. You got to have a routine. Yeah. So I'm always like, uh, what? And I've, I've thought about it and I'm like, you know what? My routine is just doing what I've done my whole life to be successful. Join the conversation with Tommy Weber. Pro and college baseball coach Tommy Weber brings you cutting-edge interviews and thought-provoking commentary in a weekly podcast dedicated to baseball, sports, current events, and the world. Check us out on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, and TommyWeberBaseball.com. And make sure to follow us on Instagram and Twitter at TommyWeberBaseball. It's time to get the conversation started, so here's your host, Tommy Weber. From the Gotham Podcast Studio in the heart of New York City, my hometown, the greatest city in the world, welcome to the conversation with Tommy Weber. That's me. And of course, that's Jonathan Gordon with that fabulous introduction. Happy New Year, everyone. Happy holidays. Merry Christmas. Whatever it is you celebrate, I hope it's been a great one. Uh, I'm looking forward to a fabulous 2020 to everybody out there. Hope you have great uh, health and good fortune. Uh, I want to welcome... Um, we have a cold January day here today in New York City. I want to welcome my buddy, Brandon Martirano, to the show. Brandon, welcome aboard. Appreciate it, my man. Thank you for having me. You bet. Brandon is a new San Francisco giant farmhand, uh, drafted last year, 2019. Outstanding catcher at the University of North Carolina. He's also a College World Series veteran, uh, which is a, a fabulous, uh, thing to have on your resume. I go way back with Brandon, as we've discussed many times. Brandon is uh, from New Jersey, and I used to work out uh, at a facility on Staten Island. And when Brandon was just a, a kid, he was in the hands of somebody who I have tremendous respect for. And uh, uh, he worked extensively with Brian Esposito, who was, I believe, the AAA manager of the Pittsburgh Pirates last year, and uh, one of the best baseball people I know. And Brandon was this young tall kid from Jersey who actually was from Staten Island originally, but then moved to central Jersey. Uh, and of course, all eyes go to the big kid. And who is that kid? Well, this kid's a real prodigy, so to speak. So um, Brandon has been an elite player for a long time um, and uh, culminated in the beginning of what I hope will be a very, very fruitful uh, major league career at some point in time. Um, Brandon, you know, uh, we've had, we have talked about just about everything there is to talk about when it comes to baseball, but I'd like to just take, take us back a little bit, um, because you know, the order of the day is travel ball and on all the changes that have taken place, you know, these monumental changes that have taken place to the way in which kids go about playing the game. Uh, give us a little bit of a background. Take me back to those first days when you were in a facility with, uh, with Brian and learning a craft. Um, you were a very, very highly touted, recognized very early on in your life that you were going to be an outstanding player. Talk Talk to us a little bit about what that was like at that point in time. Um, I mean, you make me feel pretty good when you put it like that. I mean, a lot of that stuff is, you know, me being fortunate enough to be around people like yourself, people like Brian. Uh, but you know what? We've talked about this a thousand times. Your passion for the game and your love for the game, it starts in the backyard. It starts playing with my brother. It starts beating up on my brother in the basement playing all different kinds of games. And that's where I started, you know, to really have, find my passion for this game. And I think around like 12, 13 years old, I started to really love it. And then unfortunately enough, like you said, I got to meet Brian, um, through a mutual friend on Staten Island that my father knew. I got connected with Brian and 
he was a catching guy. Uh, he caught in the major leagues with the Houston Astros, was, I believe, a fifth round pick out of UConn. He pitched a little bit with the Red Sox as well. And now he's the pitching, uh, excuse me, the catching coordinator with the Pirates doing great things. And Brian changed my life for sure at a young age. Brian was probably my first, uh, Espo was probably my first mentor. I guess you can kind of say that I had in the baseball world. He really exposed me to what it, it takes to play at a high level. It takes, obviously an intense amount of work, but it's also about working smart and doing the right things. Uh, so, I mean, at a young age, he had me doing catching drills. I was in there probably, I'd say three, four days a week, two hours a day, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17 years old all the time until he was, uh, he started to leave once his coaching career picked up a little bit. But when he was coming back on Staten Island, I was there religiously, religiously working them, catching drills, catching drills, catching drills. And then eventually we started to hit together. You know, he always, Jokes around says that when he, when I was first coming in there, I reminded him of Bambi, just a long, very long, very skinny, you know, I think I was like six foot one, 150, yeah. 145 pounds, just a, a long mess of bone and skin trying to learn how to play the catcher position. Uh, you know, to this day, people look at me and they say, Oh, so you play center field, right? You play left <laughs> field. Yeah. Pitcher. Uh, and I always got to tell me, Oh, no, I actually play catcher. You know, you know what? Uh, but for me, I, I, it used to bother me a lot, that kind of stuff. But I always think about back, back to my original days on Staten Island, which is kind of funny because it's the same building that me and you, you know, started working out now is in on the industrial loop in Staten Island. I used to drive out there, uh, all the time. My dad driving me. Four days a week from 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 Jersey over the bridge to go out there after school. And just to show you how crazy it is, there's like four facilities. Yeah, w- within like three blocks, every everyone is exactly the same. Oh right? man, cold, dank, depressing it, to it, be it's in. It's industrial loop. We always joke around and say, you know what? One day you're gonna end up on industrial loop, <laughs> and that'll be it. But hey, the funny, the the ironic thing about that is, no matter as much as as hard as we joke about ending up on industrial loop, that's where I guess I started. That's true. That's true. You've come full circle. I've, no come, doubt about I, I've made it out of industrial loop. So, so to everybody out there who thinks, you know, every, you know, their kid is a, a budding, um, Derek Cheater or Mike Trout. Um, when, when were you first? Cause I, I, I obviously we talk about this all the time. I go through a lot of like people ask me about their kid. You know, it's, it's why I try to tell my wife, don't ever tell anybody I have anything to do with baseball when you go out because eventually, inevitably, I'm going to have a guy come over and tell me, you got to see my kid. You know, here's my kid. He takes his phone out and all that other stuff. So anyway, so, um, when, yeah, you're an elite player. Went to as elite a baseball school as you could go to. You know, it's it's one of the name brand baseball schools. There's no there's no doubt about that. Um, at what point was it evident to you that you were going to have uh, your pick of the litter? I mean, at what point did it really dawn on you that holy wow, this I'm really now, you know, swimming in the deep end of the pool when it comes to recruiting. Um, yeah, when it comes to recruiting, I was probably uh, I made a. Team, I made Team USA when I was 14. Uh, so 14 years old, I was on what was called the 14U developmental program. And that was facilitated, uh, through a guy named Dave Gallagher. Sure. I know Dave very well. Dave Gallagher is a uh, nine year major league veteran, nine years in the big leagues from a guy from Hamilton, New Jersey. Yep. Pretty, pretty dang impressive. He's played at yep. Mercer County Community College. Yep. Uh, got picked up out of there. Uh, and I, I, again, Dave was another guy who really, you know, this is a common theme you're going to find in my career where I'm surrounded by such great people that help facilitate my career in the right way. People like Espo, people like Dave, people like yourself. And Dave actually helped me get exposed to Team USA when I was 14. I made the team when I was 14. Unfortunately, got injured when I was down there. But that was my first time getting out of New Jersey and getting out of New York. Um, 
this area and going out there and playing against kids that were from California, that were from Texas. And I remember being 14 years old and not fitting in the medium shirts while all these other kids were fitting in the XLs. And I remember thinking like, dang, man, like, holy, like, <laughs> like shit. I, I, I don't, I don't know if I belong, you know, I, I don't know. Sure. I, I just don't look like everyone else. I actually, my best friend to this day, his name's Chris Rodriguez. He's 22 years old. He was the same exact size he is right now than he was at 12. Big stocky Puerto Rican fella. Great player. And he was the biggest kid on the, on the, on the block. And I, I was always with him and playing with him. And I always just was like looking at him like, damn, like I need to eat more. I need to be that size. And we got out there and you know what? I surprised myself. I, 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 I couldn't hang with the big boys. You know, I played well. Unfortunately, I got hurt. But then the next year they let me, I tried out, uh, the, the pretty much the turning point of my career recruiting wise is at 15 years old. We were in Florida. We were there for a Team USA tryout. Uh, and we were down there again with Dave Gallagher and I made the 40 man roster, um, through a tournament. It's a national type of tournament. Right. So I guess, I don't know. You say you can give it, I mean, I, let's just call it 10,000 kids. Give it a shot. 40 kids make it. Maybe 6,000 kids try out. 40 kids make the team, uh, the roster. So you make a 40 man roster. You go down to Cary, North Carolina, where the USA complex is. So now I'm there. Uh, and now I'm like, dang, like I'm about to, you know, get a shot. I, right. I'm halfway there. Um, and then I remember we, we, uh, 14 new trial, uh, the 15 new trials. I had the weekend of my life. I think I, we played six games. I had maybe close to 14, 15 hits. Couldn't get out. Um, and I was the guy. And I remember we were sitting in a room. 40 of us sitting in a hotel conference room, 15 year old kids with Bubba Watson. Bubba Watson was there reading off the list of names. Tom Usborne was my coach. And I was about the eighth or ninth name called. And I remember that feeling of me, like the tingling goes from your feet to your head. And (laughs) I I just remember jumping out of my seat, not saying a word to anybody because I had some buddies that were still there waiting to get their names called. And I just jumped out and I walked out into the next room. The next room right next door was where everyone who made the team. So if you got your name called, you were just to stand up and walk next door. And there was 20 kids who didn't get their name called. You got a rose on the bachelor, basically. Yeah. (laughs) And 20 kids made the team. That's great. 13 were from California. I was the only kid from above Virginia. Wow. Uh, I was the only kid from New Jersey, only kid from the tri-state area. And for me, it was like, dang, like, I never thought of it like, wow, like I'm this much better than everyone else. Cause I don't, I still don't believe that was the case. I just knew that I took advantage of my opportunity. Right. And you know what? I ended up playing with great players. Uh, my, my two roommates, Mickey Moniak and Andrew Vaughn, uh, sure. first and third overall picks. Uh, and, and they're, they're making their way up the minor leagues now. I play with Chase Strumpf, Daniel Cabrera, the list goes on and on. How quickly before, uh, Carolina, uh, wh- what's the time frame between your, your 15, Carolina calls you when? Yeah. So <laughs> this is funny. So when I was down there for the 15 new team, I made the team. So I make the team and we're doing, we're, we're about to go to Columbia, uh, Berenikia, Columbia mm-hmm. to play a national schedule and we're doing tune up tournaments. And one of the games was at North Carolina at the college. So this was probably, so I made the team in 2013. So this is a summer of 2013. Um, this is my fre- freshman. I'm about to be a freshman. I'm about to be a freshman in the fall. So I'm still, I guess in eighth grade. No, I'm just, I'm just going into my sophomore year. So I'm a freshman, just finished my freshman year and I'm at UNC and a bunch of the kids in my school were committed. And I, as soon as I made the team, I started getting letters to my house before I even got home. Right. Um, I remember the first school that sent me a letter was UCLA. 
I was like, what the heck? You know, I'm from Jersey, UCLA sent me a damn letter. What the hell? UCLA, UCF, University of Central Florida. I'll never forget this. You know, I have this big box still of all these letters. Uh, but the first time I played at UNC, I think I had like three or four hits. I threw a couple kids out, played well. And Coach Fox and I actually talk about this every now and then. He was in the stands. He saw me play himself. Uh, so when the big man gets to see you play, you know, right. he's, he's the one who at the end of the day is making the decision. So, you know, college recruiting is the, you got coaches that go out and do the recruiting for you. Right. You know, when you're a head coach, you earn the ability to have other people do, sure. do the dirty, I guess the dirty right. work for you. But he saw me play and he was interested. And then by March, I was committed. Um, I mean, yeah, it's, it's, it, it, I will, will you'll allow you to ask your question again, but, we got to also think and UNC has been my dream school my whole life. So I was playing and I was playing on UNC's campus. It was like playing in the middle of Yankee stadium. Right. I was playing on Yankee stadium. They made the world series that year. I followed the team religiously uh, when I was young. Cause I'm always just interested in baseball and I was playing at UNC's field in the summer and that spring they had played in the world series and finished third. Uh, 2013, actually, with the best offense that school's ever seen. Right. Uh, I think Colin Moran was on the team and another guy, they, two guys drove in 90 runs. They had a ridiculous team. Trent Thornton, I think six big leaguers now so far. So at 15, at 15, and I always, we talk about this a lot where I tell you, I said it, I think I said it yesterday, whereas at 15, if you're not kind of shining, it's probably, you. the chances are you're not going to shine. Not that everyone's going to shine at the level that you did, right? Because there's a lot of factors that go into it. But, you know, during the, the course of your development at 15 years old, guys start to separate themselves from other guys, right? And they separate themselves in very distinct ways, uh, which is why uh, one of the best schools in the country is going to recruit a kid at 14 or 15 years old, because now you're blossoming and you're starting to really separate yourself from the rest of the population. Um, one of the things that we confront a lot, and we talk about a lot, is um, the perception of how uh, readily available that is to the entire population when in fact how rare it is and what a minute percentage of the population you really represent. So sometimes, right? And, and we'll, we'll kind of pivot and go in this direction now. Sometimes, uh, a lot of what we see now in amateur baseball is geared towards convincing kids that the upside is limitless, that everybody can go to Arizona State. Everybody can go to UCLA. Everybody can go to North Carolina if they try really hard. And the reality is you learn pretty early and pretty quickly that there's a very, very, very few guys that actually can do that. And everyone else really, uh, to be aspiring to that, to have that as a dream is one thing, but to have that as something that you think you can make happen because you're trying really hard, I think sometimes uh, runs afoul of what I think is in the best interest of the game and of the player. No, no doubt. I, 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 I We've had this conversation multiple times. I agree. I agree with you. I, I believe that I believe that because there's only 27 spots on the team. <laughs> um, and there's only 27 spots on the team. And there's, I don't even know, 10 million kids that play Little League. <laughs> right. And there's 27 spots on the North Carolina baseball team roster. Right. And mind you, North Carolina is about 400 miles from central Jersey. <laughs> so... I was, I was in a million miles culturally. Yeah. Yeah. You're telling me, but I looked at it always as I had the expectation of myself to where that's where I set the bar for myself. (laughs) Um, and I knew I had the ability. I knew I had the talent. I knew I had the work ethic. As you also, I would say that you were also getting that, um, you were insured a lot 
and you were encouraged a lot by people who were very credible. Brian Esposito wasn't wasting his time with a lot of guys. He wasn't going to spend as much time uh, with someone as he did with you because he knew what you could be because that was evident very quickly. So even though it was part of your dream, that dream, you were being enabled by people who were credible. You weren't being enabled by people who just wanted you to get what it is that you wanted. What you wanted was reasonable. Mm -hmm. And I think that sometimes, and we talk about this too much, um, we tend to uh, tell kids and tell players that anything is reasonable. And, you know, you, you see a lot on Twitter about how, you know, you get in what you, you'll get out of it, what you put into it. Well, that really isn't how reality works. It's actually very rare that you get out of something what you put into it. And I'm not sure that we should, you know, I think we've commoditized baseball in a lot of ways. We, 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 we use that term a lot in that baseball is now something that you trade for something else. So um, if I put a lot into this commodity, right, I'm expecting a lot back. Whereas we'd really rather see guys playing because they really want to play and whatever comes of it is fine. But in the end, it's very rare that you have guys who are going to the University of North Carolina, regardless of how hard they work, because hard work is kind of the easy part, right? Anybody can work hard. Not everybody can be an elite player. Yeah, no, I think you're right. I, I want to I touch on two points. One, you are right. I had great and unbelievable people around me affirming my dreams, which is yeah. great, which is what every great player needs. But what I also believe is what every great player needs is that your expectations of yourself need to be higher than anyone else's affirmations. So regardless of what Espo and Dave were telling me, uh, it didn't, it didn't mean as much to what I felt okay. and what I believed in myself. Okay. But, but without that, it's hard to have the confidence when you're a young kid and nowadays you got everyone telling you that nowadays the trouble that a lot of kids are running into is they got the wrong people telling them the wrong things and now their expectations become skewed and they become unrealistic which leads to disappointment which is what we talk all about and and, and you know what my brother my brother my brother's a phenomenal athlete he's a phenomenal person my brother plays division three baseball and my brother's happy as a clam Everyone is meant to be, I believe, somewhere different. And there, who's, who are we to say that because I played at North Carolina, I'm a better person because <laughs> someone else plays at D3. And know, that's where I we're going. Both, I know both of but you. That's and you're not, going, you're not and that's where we're going. And that's where, that, but the sad yeah. thing is that's where we're going. And, yes. and kids, and, and kids now are believing that they're, 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 themselves there. I don't want to say self-worth, but how they view themselves is lesser because they don't have the opportunity. Maybe they're just not the best player. You want to know what I would have liked to play. I really wanted to play football at Alabama. Yeah, but you know was, what? That wasn't going to happen. I can't play football at Alabama <laughs> right. because you know what? I'm just not right. built like I that. I want to go on tour with the Rolling Stones, but Chuck Lavelle's yeah, got my and, job. Yeah, exactly. You so, know what? But 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 I found what I was good at. Right. And I perfected. I didn't perfect it, but I'm trying right. to perfect right. it. And I put my 100% of my life, my life's work, my life's work at 22 years old. Yeah, well, that's true. Is, but it feels like it because I've been doing it since I've been 12 years old. So 10 years of work has been put into something that I realized at a young age that I wanted to do and I wanted to, to be good at. But I had to find that niche. You know, I, I wanted to be, say, if I wanted to be an astronaut or I wanted to be a doctor, you know what? I'm just, I don't have the capacity to do those things. I'm, that's just not what I'm here for. And who's to say that because some website tells you that you're, Somebody on Twitter. Your, yeah, your blast motion <laughs> sensor or your driveline data uh, is uh, nonsense is not good enough. You know what? You you need to find 
to go on the recruiting to, to touch on the last thing on your point, there's a fit. If you really want to do it, there's a fit for you somewhere. I agree. It's a great word. Fit is a great word. I use there's that a, a lot. fit for you somewhere, but I wouldn't say it's unrealistic to have high goals and, and you would never suggest that either. No. Cause I think without high goals, you're, right. you're setting yourself up aim for failure. High. Of course. Right. But just because if you aim high and you miss a little lower, who's to say that you're, that's not a great fit for you. How do you know that you can't go on to have, you know, a happy, great career somewhere else? Yeah. Uh, and there's a perfect fit. I believe that I do believe that if, if this, if baseball is your passion, especially in baseball recruiting, there's a fit for you out there if you're willing to, to look for it and people look in the wrong places. Well, as we as we pivot, now we'll make the complete pivot because you're right. People do look in the wrong places. And one of the places they look to is social media. Um, and I don't know of anything that has had uh, – and like all progress, you know, all progress has a price. You know, too much of anything is a bad thing. And um, the influence that social media has had on the game and the manner in which the game is administered, coached, played – um, has been significant, especially over the last five or 10 years. The last five years, it's like a tsunami of information and, uh, instant experts that, uh, uh, have, have spawned a, um, an atmosphere that is very aggressive. There are a lot of bullies out there on Twitter who demand that you do things a certain way. Uh, and also the advent of technology, uh, has, caused us to try to reinvent, if you will, some of the things that people have known for a hundred years, repackage it and say, this is the new, next new thing. And if you're not in, you're out. Um, talk to me a little bit about thus far this year, say from before you left in the fall um, to now, uh, your own development, what your mindset is, how you approach your development and your evolution in the game in your way. In terms of what? Social media or how I look at things myself? Just how you have um, synthesized all of that. You have a lot of noise in your in your generation. There really is. And I think that's a big challenge for the modern day player is to sift through the noise. And a lot of it is just that. Uh, it's worthless. A lot of it. Um, if I see another guy tell you, you know, have a new way of how to get the ball in the air, you know, it's it's just it's it's absurd. But um how do you process that? And for other people, like, how are you going about it? I know the answer to some of it because we're working a lot together over the last couple of months. But, you know, how do you process um, process? Please, that's, we'll get to that, too. Yeah. Um, but how do you process the information, sift out what's good, what works for you and throw the rest in the trash? Yeah. You know what? Uh, it. it- people who have I've learned to, to touch on this, I've learned the most from I've been my teammates. Uh, people that are in the trenches with me and there's no been better teacher than myself. You know, the, we say this all the time, the ball's going to tell you what you're doing. Right. Right. So when I'm on Twitter and I'm scrolling and I see this guy, that guy with this new invention, this new type of swing this way, this drill, it, it, for me, I, I'm interested in the game of baseball, just like you. So it piques our interest. So, right. you know, if we, if we weren't interested, we just keep scrolling through and we wouldn't have an opinion on it, but right. we have an opinion on it because our interests have been peaked. We see something and we believe XYZ and now we're seeing ABC and it doesn't correlate with what we believe. So we want to know why, why is that the case? And you want to know what the reason why is because I think a lot of these people go wrong nowadays, Twitter world, Twitter verse with baseball. There's no one answer. There is no one right answer. Baseball isn't science. It's not math. You know, where two plus two is right, it's always algebra. No, it's not. It, Correct. There you go. If then perfect two plus two is always going to equal four, but no in matter baseball, who says it. <laughs> but yeah, geez. But in baseball, 
there's different ways to accomplish a certain task. I believe there is a good way. There is a, I do find very much so that every single hitter in the history of the game have all had very similar points of the swing. And there's undeniable fact that every great hitter that has ever lived has swung very similar off to maybe five degrees in each direction. And I'm not talking about launch angle degrees. I'm talking, I'm talking about and literally like, you know, on the spectrum. Right. Just like every great catcher has similar right. ways of doing things. But you don't want to know what you got to take that thing and you got to find that mold and you have to make it your own. And that's what's helped me the most. You know, I think a lot when I was in college where I struggled is where I tried to be someone I wasn't. I tried to listen to people that wanted me to do things that were outside of my purview, outside of what I believed in and I struggled. I found myself being very inconsistent. And when I got to professional baseball and it was like, whoa, like you're kind of on your own here, like figure it out yourself. I learned to have that trust again in myself and be my own best teacher to be my own best teacher, to be my own best instructor. And that has taught me a world of difference. You know, you're listening to the conversation with Tommy Weber. We'll be right back. This episode of The Conversation with Tommy Weber is brought to you by 4momalz.com. Join the fight against Alzheimer's and support our good friends Hunter and Braden Bishop as they bring awareness to a struggle that many families face through their charity, 4mom. Make sure to follow them on Twitter at hashtag 4mom. And for all your mortgage needs, call Northern Security Capital Corp., the New York area's most dedicated mortgage broker. If you're buying or refinancing a home, there's only one place to go. Call Northern Security Capital Corp. today at 718-273-1010. And now, back to the show. All right, so so I'm going to throw something at you. I want you to respond to it, okay? Because what I'm going to really throw it to you, I've thrown it at you a million times. Um, and... You, we'll, we'll go through this a little bit, a little exercise that we'll do that I, lo- I love to do uh, with my players. So um, first, you're a lot closer to being great than you are to being terrible. Talk to me about that. Yeah, you know, that is something you say to me a lot. You know, that's something I'm always going to take away and believe. And you know, I'm you're know, not, you're not broken. Yeah. You know what? That is hard for me to hear because I disagreed with that the first time you said it to me because I felt far away. I felt very far away from good, especially when I first started. We first really started to work together when we were really breaking the concrete foundation down on what I had. I felt really far away. And that's because I didn't have that confidence in myself. You know, you helped me in that that statement makes you realize if you really believe that those words, if you think about those words that you are closer to good than bad. That automatically automatically makes me good. Right. And automatically, if there's a middle point between right. garbage and good, I'm on the other side of the, of the spectrum. And l- so. Let me let me tell you why I come up. I, I say that a lot to my players because I really do believe that modern instruction is about breaking a player down and always reminding him that he's broken and the pursuit of perfection. The pursuit of perfection has done so much damage to so many players. I mean, we live in already what is a relatively low self-esteem time anyway, uh, that I can't think of anything else that has hurt guys more than this ridiculous pursuit of, per- of perfection. And that's where the word process has been bastardized. The notion of process is designed so that people will think the pursuit is eternal. I hate to tell you, 
You're like a piece of produce on the shelf if you're a baseball player. I'm sorry, but this is the reality. You are expiring, and you're expiring a lot faster than any of us would like to confront. So I think process now has been used so that we don't have to confront our mortality, the endness of what we are doing, that everything comes to an end. So if I tell you it's a process, it sounds like, well, it's just going to go on forever and the results really don't matter as long as the way in which we're doing it is good. Well, I hate to tell you, it's a results-oriented world. And I'd rather have a terrible process and have tremendous results than have the greatest process in the world and be mediocre. So the results matter immensely and immeasurably in a world where we measure everything, it is all about the results because you don't have, you you and I, nobody has the benefit of limitless time. You have a short window in which you have to make sure people notice you, notice you right away and say, you're a really good player. We can't afford to sort of bask in the notion of process. Speak to that. No, you're right. And... and when you go out there and you see guys that are having consistent success, you, you don't ask, you don't go up to the guy, you don't go up to Alex Rodriguez and say, Hey man, what's your process like? You say, Hey man, how, how, the, how the hell are you right. doing that? Right. Like, what right. the hell yes. are you doing? Yes. No, what honestly I would probably say is what are you eating? <laughs> because the, you, what you're doing is, is truly phenomenal. Right. And those guys, yeah. You don't want to know what you talk about process. It, it's such a it's such a corny. I believe it's a corny word. I think it's an excuse. I think it's an excuse for people. It's a, I, I I think it's a. I think a lot of what we hear, a lot of the words we've come up with now in in, in the late you know twentieth and early twenty first century, happen to be rank pulling words. It's a way that people make themselves feel credible yeah, that, because they're yeah. using words that you don't use, so they must be smarter than you are. When in reality, Alex Rodriguez's greatest process process was his body and his genetics. The guy was a physical freak who probably could have played three sports professionally, chose baseball and chose to become one of the best players of all time. I'm not so sure Alex Rodriguez had or needed to have a very reliable process. He was that good. And I think there's a difference between having a process and having habits. Very good. There's a difference between having a process and having habits. I believe that having good habits, habits, uh, habits, my like a routine. I believe I do like the word routine because I need to do the same. You play golf. Yep. You approach the ball the same. Extremely well. You play the exceedingly well. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, I'm sorry. What did I shoot? I I forgot what I shot. You do actually play golf. 67. Oh, yeah, that's right. Okay. I hate when I do that. I think I was like, what, like 63? Yeah. Yeah. And then we played the back Give or take 30. We played the back nine. Uh, But go ahead. But you're right. There's a difference between a process and there's a difference between habits. Process is a... I don't. The process I, sounds more condescending. I, I, yeah, process sounds it's like something. No, no. Want to know what process sounds like? Process sounds like something I don't understand. <laughs> but what I do understand is a habit. I do understand a routine. Well, I there's do a understand. reason why you use words that you don't understand is so that people sound smarter than mm. you. Yeah. Well, you want to know what? They're not in the box. Okay. But at the end of the I day, agree. I have a, the habits I have every day when I show up to the yard. If you want to call that process, I call them habits. I call it my routine. I step in the box the same way. I deal with, uh, I like to put my gear away a certain way. Right. I like to take, right. you know. They're your own idiosyncratic, of course, habits that you've and, picked up over a lifetime in the game. And I, I believe to be that. a good player over a long season, like you, we play, so I'm about to play 140 games. I've never done it before. It's my first time. But everyone keeps telling me you got to have a, pro- you got to have a routine. You got to have a routine. You got to have a routine. Yeah. Yep. So I'm always like, uh, what? And I've, I thought about it and I'm like, you know what? 
my routine is just doing what I've done my whole life to be successful. Right. I processes. I, I don't, I, I guess I, I'm not it really. It sounds very yeah. nebulous to it, me it, when it, they use it, that it word. It sounds it a lot like, you know, it sounds, almost sounds like I have to accept the fact that I'm, it makes me feel almost smaller. Like it makes me feel small. It makes me feel diminished. Like I need to have this process because I'm going to have such a terrible road ahead. No, I, I believe that if I just stick to my habits and I stick to my routine, I, the failure is not even a thought because I know I'm going to have success if I just stick to what works. The process automatically assumes that I'm going to fail. Well, I, I, I wrote, I wrote something down as you said that and I think the word is crutch. I think today, uh, because it's such a massive industry and because there's such a fight for the marketplace, and that's what it is, let's face it, whether you're driveline or you're, you know, the guy who does the rubber bands or the guy who does the vests or whatever other uh, gadget you might be coming up with. PVC pipe. PVC pipe. PVC pipe stock is probably explosive. Through the roof. It is explosive. That's what we need to get into. Yes. I need to get someone that has some hookup with the PVC pipe. I want to put some money into into plastic piping. Shoot me. Because why put them in the... Soon, we're going to have homes. There's just not enough PVC pipe. (laughs) Oh, man. People will not have indoor plumbing. No, I'm going to have to go to the nearby batting cage and and break in so I can have a plumbing (laughs) service in my home. So, so... What do you think of it? I, I think a lot of this, a lot. And I got, you know, in my stocking this year, I got my blast motion sensor and my K vest and my, uh, my, those bowls with different colors and everything else. Um, but I, and, and understand nothing is new because all of the ideas have been around for a hundred years. Golf is 75 years ahead of baseball. We were talking, they were talking about this stuff generations ago in golf, you know, spin and launch angle and all this stuff and and whatever. But the reality is with all the technological advances, just like in baseball, with all the technology and with all the knowledge and all the experts running around, I don't see a real precipitous rise in the quality of play. I simply don't. Uh, And golf, you know, you should have learned from what golf experienced, all this technological advantage and advancements. And guess what? Scores have not gone down. The average player still plays basically the same way uh, as he did 50 years ago. So um, I think a lot of this becomes now the danger of this, the danger of it. And there is there is a, a benefit. Information is great. You want all the information. What you do with the information mm-hmm. is where the rubber meets the road. Mm-hmm. OK, there is no manifest destiny on information. We just want more and more and more and more and more. That's never good. Never. So when you do get the information, which is great, you have all these devices now, which are basically fancy rulers, right? The first guy who ever had a ruler, he was the smartest guy in the world. He was technologically advanced. Well, now you have different ways to measure different things. And it's great. Some of it becomes hair splitting. I don't really need to know how hydrated you are every single day. I'm not so sure that's a probative piece of information, but the more you have, the more toys you have, the more you want to work them. I get it. But the danger is this, and I don't think anybody could deny this. The danger of technology is that it becomes a crutch, which means that the player thinks that he no longer is the genesis of his excellence. He is not taking ownership anymore of what he does. So he really starts to believe the message is the reason why you're so good is because of the information Mm -hmm. when nothing is further from the truth. Because if you wiped away all of the technology and just had guys go out there and left to their own devices, I am not convinced that the difference in performance would be that great. I really am not. I believe that players like yourself have the ability if allowed to do so, to essentially become their best coaches. Mm. I don't think there's a better coach on the planet. I don't think there's a more sophisticated computer than the one that's on your shoulders. I don't think there's 
anybody who's better equipped to make themselves good at something, and that goes for anything, than the subject is. The subject being, in this case, the player. Yeah, no doubt. I, and we talked about this before. What does all this, this technology do? It measures outputs, right? They measure outputs. And if you, if you I, I listen, I don't have a degree in math, but I know the input goes first most of the time. Yes. In order to find the output, you got to have the input. Where's the input? The input is me. The input is a player. So the information I'm seeing on the screen is an outcome. It's hard to work backwards from that information. It's hard to see that information and now try to say, all right, now I'm going to change my you- input because of the output. And, do you think though that's that it, where I think it's hard for some players to digest this information? I look at it objectively and say like, all right, I felt this swing and it showed me this. So like now I think this, but I can only speak on what I know. And I want to just touch on this. Um, the giants are great, honestly, in terms of, and just for anyone out there listening and thinking about what it's like in professional baseball, the giants give me kind of the option. They kind of came out there and said, Hey man, we got this blast stuff for you. If you want to put it on your bat, go ahead. If you don't, you don't. I chose not to use it. Um, not because I didn't want the isn't, data. Isn't that empowering for you it as was, a player? And isn't, and isn't empowering no, the player. Fantastic. Isn't empowering the player. Doesn't that have a greater long-term benefit than any information yeah. you could possibly gather from in, in any shape, manner yeah. or form? It, it, Are we, it was I'm sorry to cut you off, but no, it's all right. no when the, the what they said uh, when they gave me the option, I thought it was great because I know they're gonna they're gonna find that there's gonna be data on me on everything I do, right? So that I know, I just know I trust myself and what I feel. I trust it very much so, but it doesn't mean I'm I, I'm not the type of person to say like I'm not. Neither are you. We're not gonna both look at the data and say the data is wrong. I just, it's clearly right. It's clearly, it's, it's it's analytically correct. It's just how useful is it really? When you take your temperature, it's correct. Yeah. And and that was the conversation we had with a lot, uh, a lot of the players I know with it. And some players love it. They want to know what the stuff says. Other people don't. But I know some players that are with some, some organizations that are revamping their style of play based on the data. And they're really struggling with it, not only on the field, but now they're thinking when they leave the yard about why is my number off? Why is my this, this, that, the other thing a little bit off? And it's starting to take away from what you know. And the best thing you know is yourself, right? You know how you feel when you go to the yard. You know if you made a bad swing. You know if you do the ball a little to the left, a little to the right. How do I self-correct? And it takes away the self-correction aspect of it. And now you're always reliant on something else to tell you where you went wrong. Also, you know, you could never dip your toe in the river in the same spot ever. You know, Mm -hmm. every single breath you take, the world changes. You you change, right? So every time you inhale and exhale, you're constantly changing. We're all changing. All the variables around us are changing all the time. And baseball is a game where the variables change more than any other game because it's a game that's played every day. Different pitcher, both sides, weather, whatever, wind, whatever it might be. You're playing every single day. So the variables, you can't control enough of the variables so that you could reduce the game to an algebraic equation. You just can't. And that's why I have always believed that the manager is such a vital, integral part of any organization because he can take the team's temperature in a real profound way on a daily basis. He knows how his team feels. He knows how certain guys are trending. And I think that that neutering the manager and rendering the game more clinical um, 
I don't think is a benefit to any organization, irrespective of how much they may win or how much they may tout themselves as being progressive. I feel it sounds regressive to me. Progressive would be welcoming in all sorts of ideas, all sorts of points of view, and then kind of hashing it out and allowing it to sort of vest in the player as to which direction he wanted to go. That certainly is not what's happening now. You look on Twitter, and we both know lots of organizations, lots of people in pretty high spots in some organizations, right? Uh, that's not what's happening now. What's happening now is you're being told, you know, you don't get to sit at the cool kids' lunchroom table unless you buy in. And if you don't buy in, you're out, you know, and you get outed as some guy who's old, you know, he's yelling at the clouds and it's not like it was yesterday. Well, the reality is history is a wonderful teacher and so is experience. So just speak to that a little bit. Yeah, you're right. Uh, I like, again, I can only really speak on what I've personally been able to experience and I've experienced an organization in which they're to me, given me an absolutely fabulous mix Great. of both. Um, but yeah, it's, you've created this adapt or die culture. And I mean, maybe that's how the world is. I don't know. And you probably know better than me considering you're a bit older, <laughs> but, uh, it's a, it's adapt or die. You know, you either go with the times or you, you, you get past and that's hard to see. And, and when I, I, when I see, when I see a guy like Tom, I, whenever I think of, uh, this, this stuff, this new stuff, that's why I call it stuff. I think of Tom, Tom Treblehorn is an old school yeah. manager yeah. that he managed the brewers back in the, like the seventies. And he was my manager this year and at 70 plus 80 plus years old I like and sat in the dugout with the highlighter and an old school scorebook and sat crisscross on the side of the corner of the bench. And to me, I saw that as a pot of gold. I looked at him as the pot of gold, how much knowledge could that guy give me? And the funny thing is, is when he speaks, he says the same thing the data says, but he says it in human language. He right. says it in human words. He says it into words that I can digest. He says it into the words that the 25 year old that can, he can digest. He sends, he says it in words that the guy who doesn't speak any English, he can digest. Right. And how valuable is someone like that? How valuable is something like that who can take Basically the same information. What he's saying is just English words for what the, the numbers are saying. But when he says it, it resonated with me rather than when the screen pops up and the numbers tell me something. And and learning from him and learning from guys, I was fortunate to actually have a couple conversations with Dusty Baker. As you know, we sure. played with Darren, yep. great player, great guy. I talked to him for a little bit and I thought the same thing about him, you know, that old school knowledge, that old, that's experience, the experience, the learning from that experience. Teaches you, you know, the like you said, how much has the game really changed? I mean, it's still ninety feet down there, sixty feet, six yeah, inches. It's still, it's still, I, I agree. It's still I baseball. Agree. It's still ball. With the little time we have left, let's talk a little hitting. Right, let's yep. talk our own little bit of hitting. So, um, you know, um, you are a craftsman, right? Um, players fall into all different categories. Some guys just like to go hit and don't even ever think about it. Well, very rare nowadays because mm. everybody's a swing smith, if you will. Um, I like to well, think. There's only one way to, to hit. That's right. There's only one way. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> oh, my goodness gracious. On Twitter, at least. On Twitter, on at least. Twitter, yeah, that's what we're right. talking about. Um, Twitter, not, not anywhere yeah, else. Yeah, every guy with three years of experience and a yeah. beard uh, becomes a hitting instructor. Yeah. Um, what uh, 
so what's your hitting philosophy? Tell us about hitting. I mean, you want to, you, you, why don't you give us a little bit of, you know, what it is you've gleaned over the last year or so and how, how, you know, where you're at as, in your own development. Yeah. Uh, that's a really, that's a good question. Cause honestly, I haven't really, I've thought about it. I've thought about, you know, things, but I've learned a lot. I learned a lot in college through a lot of failure, failed a lot in college, wasn't a great college player in my estimation was a very elite high level high school player playing against the same kids. Right. Baseball's funny. You play at a high enough level, it's like a pyramid. Right. It's you the same kids. Know each other. It's yeah, right. it's, it's a, a small, small world. Club. It's the same small kids. Club. It's the same kids. You, you you play the national Neil and I talk about this yeah, all the time. You, Everybody knows each if, other. If you play the national schedule in high school, you right. do the area code East Coast Pro, right. Jupiter, you go to all American stuff. It's the same kids. Right. And then those kids they go either say sign or they go to college and now it's the same kids you play in the ACC against. You right. play against them every year and then you go to the Cape and you play against those kids and then now you're in Pro Bowl and you're playing with the same kids. So you're playing with the same level of competition. So you start to see why some guys start to have higher jumps and why other guys start to fall off. And I struggled a lot in college. I, I had a hard time hitting and I think I got away with what made me good. I, I became very robotic and I started to question my own ability. And for me, my struggles came from right up here. I think hmm. I, I, I don't know how they much usually start. And, and, and this led to physical problems and such as doing dumb things and we've done we've worked together really hard on auto correcting that stuff but the second i started to doubt myself was the day my performance started to go down i had a you know i was lucky enough to be on three really good college teams surrounded by great players and and i had some success you know i wasn't the worst player and you know i played every day for pretty much two and a half years but it was good but I always had that expectation of where I wanted to be, you know, the elite player. And I, you know, I, I, I fell in the draft and I didn't have the success that I wanted to. But the hitting philosophy for me now needs to come full circle to where now that I know I'm kind of in, in a world where like result oriented world, like we did the first thing we spoke about. Cause if you don't go out there and perform, they'll find someone who's going to. Right. Regardless of what your process and, is. And you want, and, and, and there's no better way. There's no better teacher. It's not desperation, but it's necessity. There's nothing will teach you. Desperation you know, you is know, good. If you're real hungry, like if you're real hungry, you're going to go out and find something Absolutely. to eat. You know, the, the, the guy who's living in the mountains and in, in, in cold Siberia is not worried about anything else except for where his, his next meal. Right. You know, for I'm, I'm not taking it to that extreme, but for me now I know, you know what, man, if you don't turn it around, you don't start putting up some hits, you start putting some numbers on the board. Someone else is going to do it. And, and something I believe my whole life is, Somebody's got to do it, and which I want is that why I think. Me. Which is why I think, and just quickly comment on this. Let's practice like you play, so that you can play like you practice, which we do a lot of. Oh yeah, no, what we do, me, you, and I is constant game thought, game pro. <laughs> <laughs> Almost yes. Yeah, look at me. It. Look at Don't me. Do it. Look at me. No, it's 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 basically like when I'm in the cage and I'm and I'm hitting every single swing I'm taking is with a is with a purpose. There's a reason right. behind it, and we do these drills to simulate different kinds of things. And and the craziest thing about it is we do everything within 20 feet. Everything we basically do is with a 20 feet, and it's with a screen and a bucket of balls. And for us, we've done all these different drills. We've done all these different things to get me to a certain point where. I'm really confident in my swing going forward now and where I am physically, but not only physically is I've never felt this sharp mentally 
to the point where my confidence is very, very high. Yeah, I must say you get a lot of bang for your buck. Yeah, uh, yeah, with you your do work. It. You really do. You 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 are a high quality, uh, and and most most guys at your level are, but um, you're pretty exceptional with respect to how you get so much out of each rep. And I, that's why I think feedback, and we talk a lot about feedback, right? Swing slow, feel mm. everything, feel every inch of oh, it, yeah. how difficult it is to do something slowly. Yeah. Speed is camouflage, right? It's intoxicating. When you see these, when you see these imbeciles firing balls yeah. into a screen hey. and screaming, well, that just really masks everything that you've done wrong. Well, well think about this. If, if we put a blast sensor on, or whatever the hell it's called, on us when we're training, I'd have the slowest swing in the world. Right, right. But if you can't do something where it's broken down slowly and each individual part is mastered and, and, and close to and sharpened, how if you just do it fast, if you're athletic enough, you'll get the results you want. And yeah, those are false, false positives. Yeah. And we try to avoid those false positives. And that, I guess, to answer your question, ultimately, is my hitting philosophy. I want to take those false positives away. I want to if I'm going to fail, I want to know why. And I want to take that failure. I want to figure it out. And I want to address it and go from there. So then you're okay with confronting your mortality. As, yeah. as a, that's you know, really what that is, right? It's confronting the fact that you're freeing. not always going to be perfect. No. Nope. So I just want to be good enough. Good enough. I just that's want to be right. good enough. That's right. Spencer, how's that sound? Good? I like that, right? You just want to be good enough. And then you go out there and you let the chips fall where they may. Well, yeah. hopefully, hopefully, um, and I think they will. They're going to fall exactly where you want them to because, um, you know, your work this year has been incredible. I mean, you, you had a really good year as a, a rookie. Um, I see nothing but great things for you. And um, I can't thank you enough for uh, stopping in. There we and, go. Uh, are we going to have dinner now? I guess so. All right. If, if you're paying. <laughs> you beat me to the yeah. punch. Wow. Why there should anything We're in change? New York City. So Why should anything change? Yeah, well, I mean, we're not in, uh, yeah, I don't even know. We're not in North Carolina anymore. So, Brandon Martirano, watch for him, follow him everywhere on social media. What a great conversation to kick off the new year. 2020 is going to be a great one for Brandon and hopefully for all of you out there as uh, the beautiful Freddie Mercury and Queen take us out. Thanks. Love you, Cleo. Thanks for listening to The Conversation with Tommy Weber. Have any thoughts on today's episode? Ideas for a new one? Join the conversation on Twitter at TommyWeberBball or Instagram at TommyWeberBaseball and share your thoughts. Tommy's back next week with a new episode of The Conversation. Subscribe and listen for free at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Google Play, CastBox, TuneIn Radio, Radio Public, and Stitcher. And of course, always at TommyWeberBaseball.com. Come.